you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to take them and turn with me to the book of Titus. That's toward the end of the Bible. It's on page 1,119 in in my Bible. It's just before Philemon and just before Hebrews, two books before Hebrews. And so uh, we're, we're going to take this passage of Scripture today and talk about Christmas grace. You know, I'm thankful for grace today, aren't you? I'm telling you, I don't deserve a single blessing that God has provided me. But I am thankful that His amazing grace has been provided to me and to you. And that by His grace, there are wonderful blessings that are in store for us. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about this idea of Christmas grace The book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Read along with me if you will. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Will you say all people? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Father, thank you for your word And thank you for the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. We will learn today that that grace that came to us through Jesus was your Christmas gift to us. You gave it to us freely. We cannot buy it. We cannot earn it. But thank God it is available to all who will receive it freely. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to preach and, and minister effectively today. Uh, to say the things that need to be said in such a way that people can understand and, and reason in their minds about this gift of grace. And hopefully before they leave today, make sure that all is well with their soul and that they will join us as we look forward to the great hope that we have of one day spending eternity with Jesus Christ. Now let your message go forth and do what you have intended for it to do. I know it will. For you have promised that to me, and I receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Punch your neighbor and say, I'm ready. How about you? Amen. If I were to go around the room today and ask you how many of you received at some point in your life some memorable Christmas gifts, almost all of us would be able to say, yeah, I remember a time when I was three years old or when I was eight years old or I was nine. Yeah, I don't have a lot of memories of a lot of big, fancy gifts because my mom and dad weren't rich people. They didn't have a lot. They were, they were Church of God pastors for over 60 years. And, and sometimes just getting to breathe air was all of the gifts that we got, you know. But there were a few. I remember when I was little that they got one of those Wild West choo-choo trains that you can sit on and ride and had a horn on the front and you'd, you'd hit that thing and it'd go, woo, woo, 
Woo, and I love that thing. And I'm pretty sure they regretted ever buying that choo-choo train for me. I remember a few years later as I was in high school, my mom and dad bought me a stereo unit that back in the day, they were big. I mean, they weren't little things. You couldn't carry them in your back pocket and have uh, ear earphones and that kind of thing. They were big. Had a record player in it. How many of you remember what record players are? Anybody? And, the, and it had a, get ready, hold on now. It had an eight-track tape player in it. It was wonderful. I remember listening to an Imperial song. It was called New Creation. And it was one of those old-time Pentecostal songs that, man, you could shout to no matter where you were. But when it would get to the high moment in the song, when the Holy Ghost was about to fall on you, it would get to the end of that eight track and it would have to change to the next track. And it was kind of like it would leave you suspended in the Holy Ghost until the music came back on. Well, I had, I had an eight track player. I sure did. And of course it had an AM FM radio. Anybody remember AM radio? It, it was a thing at one point. It really was. And I know a lot of you teenagers and young people are saying, we don't, we don't know what a record is, don't know what an eight-track player is. I, you know, we stream all of our music. Let me tell you, I'm thankful for streaming music because it's so much easier. But I remember having that and ultimately taking it to college with me as I got older. And then I've told you this story before. My dad always surprised us every year. The truth is he never surprised us because we always knew that we were going to get one of those big, thick candy canes. He'd hide them so that we didn't know that they were there. And he'd always act like that he forgot this year. But when the time was right, he'd always go and pull out those candy canes and give them to us. Would you believe that I've told this story once before and someone since that time, every Christmas, they bring me a big, thick, oversized candy cane so that I can remember that memory and remember my dad and how good he was. So if we went around the room, all of us would say, well, I got this and I remember when I got that and I remember this and I remember that. And so we all have these wonderful, special Christmas memories. But I would like to suggest to you today that the greatest gift that I personally have ever received, and I believe the best present that you've ever received in your life, has been the, the gift of grace. The gift of grace that comes freely to us through Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that in this season of giving and receiving, that we can not only receive grace, but we can be dispensers of grace as well. We can give grace to those who do not deserve it and are not worthy of it. But let's remember that we were not worthy of it either. But God gave it to us as well through Jesus Christ. Now we're told this in Scripture. John 3, 16 and 17 says... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Aren't you thankful for that? 
We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when sin first came into the world. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 tells us that God promised Eve that one of her offspring would crush Satan's head. So you can see God already is beginning this work of salvation and restoration. In Genesis chapter 22, he told, he, he told Abraham, he said, you will be the father of the Jewish nation. And he said to him, he promised that one of his offspring would be the dispenser of blessings to this world. So he went back to Adam and Eve, and then he told, he told Abraham... And then you go forward to the prophets and they foresaw the very same thing. In fact, Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. He said, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So all the way back into the the Old Testament, God is getting things ready for this gift of grace that would come. And then we see in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, it says, And Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Oh no, fear not, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Can you say, all people? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So you go all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve and God made a promise. And then you go to Abram and God made a promise. The prophets spoke of that promise. And then Mary brought that promise and laid that promise in a manger. And Jesus Christ grew as the promise of God And then in Titus, where we are today, this promise is spoken of. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The grace of God has appeared. Well, how did it appear? Did did they have to go down to J.C. Penney and buy a a grace, a, a piece of grace? Did they have to go to Dillard's? Did they go to Target? Did they go to Walmart? No, the grace appeared in the person of the Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary and was sent to this world as a package of grace from God the Father to us. How many of you ever got a present that had multiple boxes? Now, i just be honest with you. I don't always like that. We went to a Christmas banquet yesterday, and they weren't giving some of the ministers gifts because we serve on boards and committees. And, 
And the first thing they did is they said there's multiple boxes here, so don't, don't open them until everybody gets one, and then you can open them together. And when they came to, to our place, we had two boxes. And I'm thinking in my head, because I know what I'm going to preach today, I'm thinking, oh, what a beautiful example of this. I hate boxes or, or gifts that come in multiple boxes. Just give me the gift, you know. But every now and then you get a big box and then you put a smaller box in it and then you get a smaller box in it and then you put a smaller box in it and you put a smaller box in it. And let me tell you, I hate wrapping presents anyway, so I will never do that to anyone because it requires me wrapping those multiple boxes. In fact, I'd rather just say, look, I'm going to buy you such and such. Why don't you go pick it out and get what you want? You know, it seems much easier to me. You know how it is. You open the first box and there's nothing there. You open the second box and you have to keep the third box and then the fourth box. I'd like to suggest to you today that God gave this gift of grace in multiple manifestations for us to understand. And so I want to share with you three of those gifts that he gave us. First of all, we see in this passage of Scripture that there is relational grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Can you say all people? Now here's what this means. It means that we are all sinners. We are born as sinners and we all need a Savior. If you're here today, you say, well, but I've been a good person. I grew up as a good person. I had good parents. I, I was raised in the church. I, I've done all those religious things that I'm supposed to do. Let, let me tell you right now, religion won't get you to heaven. Your parents won't get you to heaven. You can't go there based on their uh, membership card. You, you need a Savior. I needed a Savior. We all need a Savior. And what I'm trying to tell you today is, is that one of the great gifts of grace is, is that when Jesus came, he came as the Savior to this world. See, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. In chapter 6 of Romans verse 23, it tells us that it is appointed unto all of us once to die, and then comes the judgment of God. In Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 27, it tells us that God will judge all of us based on the works that we have done in the flesh. But then it goes on to tell us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So he's like that mother chicken. When the storm begins to boil and the wind begins to blow and the waves begin to crash, God is gathering up his people and he is providing restoration to them. From the very day that Jesus was born and placed in that manger in Bethlehem, he had his eyes set on an event that would take place over 33 years in the future when they would hang him on a cross at Calvary. And the last words that he would utter would be those, some of the last words that he would utter would, would be, it is finished. The significance of that is that something happened over at the church house. 
because there had been this big veil that had always separated the blue-collar people, if you will, from being able to access the presence of God. You know there were three parts to the temple. They could not get in to where the holy of holy is. Only the priests could go there once a year. And it was so dangerous that they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he said something or did something that offended a righteous God. So that they could pull him out if God struck him dead. I'm telling you that when sin entered into the world, one of the greatest things, disadvantages that came to us was the fact that there was now separation between God and mankind. In fact, Adam and Eve at one time had walked in the cool of the evening with God. But when sin came into the picture, that separated them from the presence of God. I've got good news for you today. You may be sitting here thinking, I don't know if God's close to me or not. I don't know if he's round or not. I don't know if he's in the general vicinity or not. Let me tell you, when Jesus said, it is finished, over at the church house, something significant happened because the Bible tells us that that curtain that hung was torn in two and it came apart signifying that there was no longer any distance between God and himself. You say, yeah, but that was, that was back then and this is now. Well, let, let me remind you that the Bible invites every one of us to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. There is nothing that is keeping you from the presence of God. If you have faith and believe in Him, your relationship with God will be fixed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Jesus came to save us from that coming judgment and bring us back to God. Steve Brown, an author, wrote a story in one of his books about a man and a woman that had been married. She was 19 years of age and he was 20 years of age when they decided to get married. Almost like Donna and I. I was 19 and she was 20. She's the old woman in the house. I'm two months shy of her. She's November and I'm January. But they've been married for about six years, this story says. And all of a sudden, they'd had three children. Life was hard. Work was difficult. And the woman of the house finally just came to a place where she said, I can't take it anymore. I can't take the husband. I can't take the kids. I can't take the housework. I can't take any of it. And just like that, this lady up and left. Nobody knew where she went. She left her kids. She left her husband. She left everything and just disappeared. The man tried to find her. He tried to try to get in touch with her. And occasionally she would call in just to see if the kids were okay, but never would say where she was and never would make any promise to return home. So finally, one day, the man said, I have got to resolve this situation in some way. So he hired a private investigator. And he said, I want you to do whatever you have to do to find my wife. And after several weeks, this investigator found this, this lady in Des Moines, Iowa, in a little 
no-tell motel up there, just barely surviving. And so the husband made arrangements for the kids to stay with a neighbor. He took some time off of work, and he went to Des Moines, Iowa. And he went to the hotel where she was, and he knocked on the door. And when she came to the door, she was shocked and surprised that he was there. And he talked with her for a few minutes. And finally, she made this statement to him. She said, you know, when you said that you loved me, it seemed to be just words. But now I know how much you love me because you came to get me. Can I just tell you today that Jesus Christ came to get you? He came to reconcile you to the relationship that the Father wants to have with you. I know you may have heard about it. You may have discussed about this love of Jesus Christ. But sometimes it just sounds like words. But let me tell you, there will come a time in your life when Jesus will not deal with you from a distance but he will come to where you are. And wherever you are, he will take you and he will bring you to himself if you will receive it. So there is relational grace. And secondly, there is developmental grace. Notice verse 12. It says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions... And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Let me tell you something else good about God's grace. God's grace will enable you to be the best that you can be. You don't have to barely get by in this life. You don't have to drag through life and just accept whatever the devil throws in your pathway. You have authority over him. You have power over him in the name of Jesus. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You've just got to understand that God will take you how you come, but he will not leave you that way. I'm amazed at the number of people that think they can just accept Jesus, but never have to change. I don't know why anyone would want to live that way. I get tickled at people that they're proud of their ugly past. They'll talk about it all the time. I remember when I used, and they'll tell stories like, I still wish I was living like that. Let me tell you something. I'm thankful that God rescued me from the filthy language that I used to use. I remember a day that a lady, a young girl, a schoolmate came up to me and she said, you're the preacher's kid. You'll never say a curse word. And I let go with every one of them that I could think of, just to show her that I could. I'm not proud of that. I'm really not. I only tell you that to tell you that we can get into habits and ways of living that we should not be proud of. And we should be asking God to give us the grace and the forgiveness to say, with the help of God and the grace of God, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm not going to argue with people on Facebook about who's going to get elected next. I just, I don't have time for that nonsense. 
I don't have time to talk about all the bad stuff that's happened to me in my life years and years ago. Listen, I sometimes, I, I realize that sometimes that we need to talk about things in the right setting and in the right place with the right people so that we can process the information and all that. But I'm talking about public declarations of things that happened in our lives years ago. And all we're doing is just splashing the world with our ugliness. Let me tell you that, that Jesus Christ come, came to take the ugliness from our life and allow us to become the people of God that he has called us to be. He is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You know that I like Krispy Kreme donuts, right? Before we went to Pigeon Forge, there's a Krispy Kreme down there not far from where we were staying. And I made up my mind that if the light was off, that that would be a good signal that God didn't want me to have one. (laughs) That if the light was on, that God was going to supernaturally keep my blood sugar under control and I could have it and not worry about it. Can I just tell you that the whole time we were there, the light stayed off. No Krispy Kreme donuts for me. But let me tell you, if the light had been on, I don't really like yeast donuts. They give me heartburn. And so after I eat one of the yeast donuts, I'm always saying, I wish I hadn't eaten that. I I would have rather not had that. So when we do occasionally go, I get cake donuts. Because they set better with me. And I try to keep it to a bare minimum. But in order to eat a cake donut, I have to renounce the yeast donuts. Because at this point in my life, I don't need both. You understand what I'm saying? I have to choose one or the other. And if I have to choose, and if I get to choose, I'm going to choose what I like. And what sets with me better? Let me tell you something about grace. Let me tell you something about salvation. God gives you the opportunity to make choices that will cause you to be beautiful to the world instead of ugly to the world. And if you can't make the choice to be beautiful instead of ugly, then you need to renounce some things that represent the world rather than accepting them into your lives. He said, I'd rather just do it and then ask God to forgive me. The Bible says, listen, God is not mocked. You can't mock God whatever you sow in the flesh. You're going to reap it. So you've got to choose to receive this grace and allow him to develop you. What does it say? It says he is training us. Did you ever train a dog? Did you ever try to put a dog on a leash and train it for what it's supposed to do? You know, sometimes it takes a great deal of patience to accomplish that. Because dogs have a mind of their own. And I've discovered that the larger the dog the larger the ego. How about, you know, and it's hard to break it. You don't want to break their spirit, but you want to break their habits. 
I've had to learn key words to use when I'm outside with my dog. Now, he's still young enough that sometimes he does it and sometimes he doesn't. But I've noticed something. I also have an outside cat. He doesn't come into the house. He stays outside. But when Boomer and I take our walk so that Boomer can take care of life, the cat comes along. And when I tell Boomer to cross the street, the cat crosses the street. When I tell Boomer to do number one, the cat does number one. When I tell Boomer to do number two, the cat does number two. And when I say to Boomer, are you ready to go in now? The cat just starts walking home. Now, I know you think I'm crazy, but here's what I'm saying to you. If a dog and a cat can be trained to do what is right at the right time, then surely to goodness, the people of God who have the Spirit of God living and residing within them can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and be obedient to His voice. Amen? Now listen, Christianity isn't just about saying no, it's about saying yes to the good things of God. I like Micah chapter 6 verse 8, for it says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. This has been said, you've heard it said many, many times, but I want to remind you that I'm not what I ought to be, somebody said. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Can you say amen for God's grace today? And then finally today, I want to tell you that there is what is called a rewarding grace. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you see that? It dawned on me as many times as I've read this through the years that God is developing me to bless himself. He is helping me become the gift that he will ultimately receive and give back to himself. Did you ever give yourself a gift? Did you ever put all the hints out to everybody and say, boy, I'd really like to have this. By the way, this is my size. This is my favorite color. This is this, this is that, this is whatever. It comes Christmas time and for whatever reason, they did not get the hint. And you did not, did not get the gift. How do you deal with that? Hey, no problem. I've got a debit card. I've got Amazon Prime. If I want it, I'll buy it for myself. I don't have to have somebody else get it for me. I'll enjoy it just as much if I buy it myself as if someone else gets it for me. 
and I bless myself. Have you ever blessed yourself? When our kids were young, we had a piano in the house and Donna, she didn't become a wonderful piano player just automatically. She's practiced through the years and she's gotten good. She'd go into her room and she'd start playing the piano and, you know, just worshiping and playing and practicing and trying it all out. Sometimes we'd walk in and she'd be right full on in a worship service in there. Just praising the Lord and giving glory to God. There would be occasions that we'd say, well, where's mom? Anybody know where mom is? I can't remember if it was Jonathan or if it was Aaron, but one time they came in and they said, mom's in there blessing herself. Was it Aaron? Mom's in there blessing herself. And so from that time forward, anytime she'd start playing the piano, we'd say, well, mom's blessing herself. Let me tell you something. One of these days, one of these days, I almost weep at the very thought of it. You know, we think about, oh God, if you'll just drag my God-forsaken body out of this earth, somehow deliver me from the hell that I'm living in. Get me out of here and into your presence. Thank God it'll all be over. It's not about that. It's about living victoriously now. It's about letting Him develop you into the child of God that He's called you to be so that one of these days when He calls you home, and He will, He's either going to call you home by way of the rapture or by way of the grave. But the Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you pass and when you leave this earth, uh, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he's not going to be saying to you, oh, well, thank God you made it. I was beginning to wonder. I just had to drag your sorry hide out of there because if you hadn't made it one more day, I'm telling you, I don't think you'd have made it at all. No, he's not going to greet you that way. He's going to greet you with arms wide open and gather you into his bosom and say, you are my prized possession. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So let me tell you something. I'm living today for that reality tomorrow or this afternoon or 10 years from now. I don't know when I'm going to leave this world. I may live to be an old man. I may leave today. I don't know. 
But I'm telling you, I am satisfied that my salvation will be enough to get me into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't do anything to supply it. I didn't give anything. I didn't do anything to resource it. I couldn't buy it. I can't deserve it. But thank God one of these days, uh, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and realize fully the grace of God that was given to me through Him. I want to encourage you today to live today in the fullness of God's grace. Refuse to barely get by. Refuse to let the enemy steal your joy. When the enemy tries to steal your joy, you say, no, it's not yours. It's not yours. It's been paid for by my Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. You can't have it. When he tries to get your kids, you say, no, they're they're not yours. I dedicated them to my Savior years ago. And I declare that they will be with me in the afterlife because of the same salvation that they received like mine. Let's not let the devil have anything that he has no right to whatsoever. And so I'm, you know, it's Christmas. I'm tired. I put up 24 trees in the house. I've baked 18 dozen cookies. I'm worn slap out. Can I make a suggestion to you? Make one dozen cookies and bring half of them to the pastor and you eat the rest of them. Put one tree up instead of 24. Relax. Step back. It ain't about that stupid elf anyway. It's about Jesus. The grace of God who's been provided for us. Oh, don't you love Jesus today? Aren't you thankful for what he's done for us? Aren't you glad that your sins are forgiven and washed away? Stand with me if you will. I I just felt in my spirit today that I want us to close in a...